Well, we had so much fun last week, but we're glad you're back, John. It's so cool, and, and all of you. Oh, man, what a wonderful morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 12. And I just want to say that, um, you know, I have just always been such a fan of the Kurtnackers, and I'm so sad that they're moving on, but also I am in total support of their decision. You know, it has been uh, just such a great year and just a little over a year. And I was just thinking about the way that every single person brings something unique. And in a sense, there is no way we will be able to replace their family. Nobody can do the things that they do the way they do it. But God's also good, and he'll bring new people to step in and minister in a new, unique, wonderful day. So I am a wonderful way. And I am just super excited to see how God is going to bless them and I'm really excited to see how God's going to bless us as well. So uh, can you believe you are sitting back in your living room with your feet up in your pajamas, drinking some coffee? And uh, man, what, hey, there, there's a nice side of that, right? Um, I was just really just enjoying sitting in this room, worshiping with our team. It was just so encouraging. But I do wish you could all be in here with us. And I'm looking forward to when that happens again. And I was kind of expecting that we may close down again um, or, or just we're not closing down, but that we would fail to meet publicly. Um, but you know what? I am just really looking forward to this as an exciting time to kind of focus in on what has God called us to do? How are we going to continue to accomplish those same things with some different limitations? And I think it's actually a really great time for our church to focus in and, and really work on being effective. Okay. So Matthew chapter 20, uh, 12, verse 1 through 21, the priority of mercy, the priority of mercy. You know, um, we are in this section of Matthew looking at a transition in Jesus's ministry. It's a transition from Jesus presenting himself to parables. And in a couple weeks, we will actually see what the significance of Jesus' teaching in parables is. Many people feel like, oh man, Jesus is a great storyteller. Yeah, but they miss the fact that parables was actually to hide his message from people who had rejected him. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, this is a way, this is a transition in Jesus' ministry from being public to becoming more private. And you'll see that happening. And so we're going to be considering that. We're going to be seeing this happening. And, and Jesus has been presenting and offering the kingdom to Israel. And as they reject him, he begins to teach in parables. He begins to minister privately. And he, he begins to focus on the cross, which interestingly was the reason that he came. It is so amazing that God can take rebellious sinful acts and use them to bless people. I think about this, this uh, verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. How powerful that God throughout history and in every situation takes every situation and he uses it for the good of believers, and we're going to see that in just an incredibly amazing way. It's an interesting thing, just a lesson when we think about God's salvation of mankind, but for us to remember that from a spiritual perspective that, that is true, but in every circumstance, 
God uses the difficult things to bless believers. You know, when we are sinning, God will lovingly discipline us and graciously bring us back. Sometimes we go through hard times, not because we're sinning, but just because God has a plan and he's going to use it for his glory and our growth. And I know that we actually have people in our church who have received bad news about different things and they're really struggling with some different things. And and it is so hard when you're in the middle of going through that, but to be able to step back and say, this doesn't feel good to me, but I know that God loves me. I know that God has a purpose and a plan and that he's working things out for my good. Man, what an encouraging thing for us as believers and as a church um, to remember that we have a significant purpose, and that is to take the gospel to the unbelieving world. It is to disciple and train one another to obey everything Jesus says and to encourage each other in every part of what we're doing. You know, we want to think about the priority of, min- of mercy and I want to just read um, these two verses here as we think about our morning. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body. That's talking about Jesus. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That is the purpose of our life, the purpose of our church, is that Jesus is preeminent. And that's one of the things, as we read this story... And we're going to look at religious people. We're going to look at Pharisees who completely missed the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was Jesus. And they missed the point of the Sabbath and they rejected Jesus. And it's just like to see how religion can be so twisted. And it's a reminder for us to step back and think about the fact that sometimes as we get to going about the different responsibilities and as we're doing different things in ministry, we actually forget why we are doing these things, and it's Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the, build, much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. You know, here's the issue. In, in our passage, we're going to be looking at the Sabbath The Sabbath does have glory in the sense that it points to Jesus, but Jesus himself has so much more glory than the Sabbath. And so, so again, if you have your Bibles, go to uh, Matthew chapter 12. You know, Jesus is the point. He's the embodiment of God's mercy to all of mankind. He is the reason that God doesn't hold our sin against us. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're going to see these three points in our message this morning. Jesus taught mercy. Jesus lived out mercy. Jesus is the embodiment of God's mercy. And the the summary, the whole point of all of this is that for you and I, as believers, it is critical that mercy has the same priority in our life that it had in Jesus' life. So this is just a question as we begin this message and as we go through and kind of examine God's word. And we could start and maybe end with this question. Are you known as a loving, merciful person? Because if you're a believer, you should be. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into this. And we're going to go to our first point that Jesus proclaims mercy. 
Jesus proclaims mercy. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. This is what it says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to plug heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, this is an interesting thing. The Pharisees used to love to go after Jesus about what he did on the Sabbath. And, and, and it's interesting as you look at the story, the, the Pharisees are actually following Jesus and his disciples around. As they're walking, they're, they're just following them and they're looking for some way to, to accuse them. One of the things that has just really stood out to me in the passage um, in just Matthew so far is how often the Pharisees fall, follow Jesus around and they tell him what to teach, they tell him what to do. It's like these these people who should be learning from the God of the universe are instructing Jesus. They totally missed the point of the Sabbath, and they accuse his disciples of breaking their rules. The disciples were not breaking God's laws. The Jews had made all kinds of legalistic rules about the Sabbath, and the disciples were breaking their rules, not God's rules. Now, I just want to think for a second about the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is, is a huge issue. We need to think about it correctly. And there's a lot of people that struggle with why was obeying the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath so important in the Old Testament, and yet in the New Testament, we don't keep the Sabbath. Or there are some people who still keep the Sabbath, but they think the Sabbath was moved to Sunday, and so now it would be sinful to work on Sunday because Sunday is the new Sabbath. And so as we think about the Sabbath... Um, it's important to note a few things. The first thing is that the Sabbath was God's gift to mankind. Now, I think this is interesting. In the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, um, all ten of the commandments in the, in the Ten Commandments have been repeated in the New Testament. The Sabbath is the only commandment that is not repeated. And, and yet there is still something in, in this for us to consider and learn. Um, the other thing I was noticing as I went through and just looked at the Ten Commandments, I noticed that, you know, some of the, some of the commandments are really short. They're like four words. But there are two, two of the Ten Commandments that are really long. There's like this huge explanation that goes along with them. And the first is graven images. It's the second commandment. And actually, there are 44 Hebrew words, or if you count them in the, the ESV, there's 91 words used to explain that. And it's interesting because the, Israel struggled with um, not bowing down and worshiping and creating graven images. But the number one wording, the, the number of words of all the Ten Commandments was the Sabbath. Actually, it had 56 Hebrew words or 96 in the ESV. Um, a lot of words to describe the, the Sabbath. So that means that this is very important. Now, um, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, we see here, it says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. I mean, that is a really serious command. And, and what we realize and what we learn throughout Scripture is that the Sabbath was God's way of blessing mankind. Um, and, and he uses, it's interesting, the Sabbath, um, the argument in Exodus when the Ten Commandments are given, 
it's pointed back to actually God's creation. And it says God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. So you should work six days and on the seventh day you should rest. When the Ten Commandments are re-given in the book of Deuteronomy, it's interesting because um, the, the commandment is basically the same, but God appeals to their slavery in Egypt and he says, hey, rest on the seventh day. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And so just in Egypt, just that constant work, never having rest. And God's just saying, no, there is a day for you to rest. And, and that was God's gift. And, and that day of rest was meant to be a day of ceasing from work, trusting God, and just worshiping God, resting in who God is, um, dwelling on who he is, worshiping. And, and that was the point of the Sabbath. And you know, rest is a gift, but the greatest gift that God gave was himself. Now, this is interesting, too, because if you look at Leviticus 25, verse 21, it says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. It's not just the seventh day, but God actually told Israel that for six years you should work, and in the seventh year you should take that year off and let the land rest. And God promised them that in the sixth year, he would give them three years worth of crops. And so it would cover the year that they needed. It would cover the year that they were resting. And it would actually be extra for an additional year. The Sabbath is a reminder that God loves us. God provides for us. And even though we work diligently, ultimately God is the one who provides. And so um, that was like, those are the things that were incorporated in the Sabbath. And it is just um, incredible how God provided. You know, I was thinking about just the place of just sitting back and relaxing. And, and I was thinking about that here in, here in RSM um, and in Mission Viejo. Just what a wonderful place this is. And I remember just sometimes we'll walk around the Mission Viejo Lake or we'll walk around the RSM Lake and we just look at the beauty and it's just so encouraging. And it just is a time for us to think about God is so good. He has made such beauty. And it's just this time to appreciate who God is. What, a, what an incredible, wonderful place that we live. And sometimes people are so focused on work and they're so focused on all the, the distractions and difficulties and stresses of life that they miss God's blessing. And the Sabbath was intended to be a place that people would worship God, that they would trust him and rely on him. The Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. It was never meant to, to be something that, that crushed and harmed and destroyed people. And yet that is the way that the Pharisees used it. Um, the Sabbath was never intended to be, hey, I'm hungry and I'm walking through a field and I can't pick a grain of wheat and rub it and then just eat that wheat. That was never God's intention. It was God's intention that, that the disciples not go out into a field and forget about God's love and God's provision and just try to work every day to make a greater profit. And so the Pharisees completely miss the point. And they tell Jesus, hey, your disciples are doing something wrong. Okay, let's look at verse 3 through 6. And let's see how Jesus responds to this. And he said to them, have you not read? Now I just, 
It just is amazing to me that, that in how many conversations Jesus has with the Pharisees when they misunderstand things, when they don't understand what's going on, and he looks at them and he says, have you not read? Or isn't the reason you're wrong that you haven't read the scriptures? Jesus constantly pointed people back to his word. And, and I just think that, that that should be a reminder to every single one of us that on a daily basis, we need to be reading God's word. We need to understand it. We need to be praying that God would help us to understand it. But anyway, he just says here, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for priests kind of interesting that God, Jesus points back to the Old Testament of this example. Now, I just think, you know, the Pharisees, they would claim Jesus, and we know that they claimed Moses. You know, Moses was there. They wanted to sit in the seat of Moses and be like Moses and teach, and, and they would have said, oh, David's a great king, and, and we, we, David's with us. And Jesus points back to the Old Testament to these people that, that they honor and respect. By the way, people who love Jesus and who in their, in, in their time were often rejected and persecuted. I think about Moses. You know, they wanted to, you know, they looked at Moses as the great leader. But all the people like them wanted to stone Moses. They constantly complained and griped during the lifetime of Moses. Reminds me of Jonathan Edwards. You know, Jonathan Edwards is this guy who lived from like 1703 to 1758 or something. And it just is crazy because in history he's this great um, preacher that made such a difference in the world. And it just cracks me up because he was in a church and this church fired him. Like they fired him and it was like this huge vote of, you know, I don't know, I can't remember exact, exactly, but it was like something like 160 to 15 or something. So this church fires this great historical preacher. And if you go to that church today, they have a plaque bragging that he used to be the pastor of their church. And it just cracks me up. And, and, and so Jesus is going to point to these Old Testament people, these Old Testament stories, people that the Pharisees would want to identify with, and yet they're so different than the people in the Old Testament. They reject God himself. He goes on. He gives us an additional example. He says, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, what he's saying there is that a priest, like nobody's supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? But what is the main workday for a priest? It's the Sabbath. And, and, the, and they're, they're, they're working the temple. They're making sacrifices. They are doing their main work on the Sabbath. And that is, Jesus is just pointing that, that the, the purpose of the Sabbath is to point to Christ. It is rest. It is to honor the Lord. It's not their legalistic rules that they've come up with. And then Jesus says this in verse 6. He says, I tell you something. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now, it's interesting because in, if you look at all the different manuscripts, that word for something, it's neuter, and there are, there are times that, that we find where somebody copied a masculine version of the word. So if it's masculine, then it's Jesus is saying someone greater than the Sabbath. But I think that the right one is the neuter. That's what's the most. And it's just saying something is greater, something greater than the, than the, the temple is here. 
And that's talking about Jesus' presentation, this time that the Messiah has shown up and he is there to present the kingdom of God. And they are missing the point. And so he, he communicates that. You know, um, let's look at verse 7. And we're going to see kind of the key to this section. This is what Jesus says. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Do you know who they condemned? They condemned the disciples. And the disciples were not guilty. And they condemned guiltless people. And Jesus said, if you had understood what I meant, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have done that. And then here Jesus is going to, so he's talking to this about this whole presentation, something greater is here. And now he's going to say, I'm greater and I'm here. Look what he says here. For the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, just think about that. Isn't it insane that God who made all the rules that God who said, I'm going to set aside the Sabbath as a gift to you, as, as a day that I, I'm not only going to give you rest, even better, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you a day to just think about me. And that's the greatest gift anybody could have. And the God who made the Sabbath and said, think about me is standing right there. And the Pharisees are going to try to tell him what to do on the Sabbath. Man, what an oversight. You know, I think that this is a, a really important time for you and I to think about church, to think about our worship, to think about what we do. You know, a lot of times we can get caught up on the external logistics of what we do in church. We can think about, well, what's the song that we're singing? What's the style of the song of, that we're singing? Do I like that? Or just when we think about these external things of, you know, what, what time do I think the service should be? Or, or even I think about our blue arrows. You know, we've got our blue arrows all around to point people which direction to walk. And the reason that we do all those things is to care for people, to create a safe environment for people. It's actually because we love the people who show up. And could you imagine a person shows up that we're trying to love and they walk the wrong direction and somebody's rude to them. Hey, go the right direction. It's like missing the whole point of the arrows on the floor. Or the point of singing songs on Sunday morning isn't that I show up and let's all take a vote and let's pick which ones we want. It's no, the, the point of these songs is to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord. Or sometimes in doing a ministry, there's like all this personal um, tension and difficulty and, and just rivalries and this person doesn't like this person, that person doesn't that like that person. And there can be all these difficulties and challenges and people who are facing irritation with other people over ministry things and ministry decisions. As we do things like that, we forget that mercy, mercy, love for the people around us, building people up around us is so much more important than the things that we are doing. And when we do that, we become like the Pharisees. So I want to just read a passage uh, to you from the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 and, and following. And it's just something for us to remember. God cares about our heart. He wants us to love him. He wants us to love the people around us. 
That's not about external religion. It's about the heart. And God actually in this passage is going to say, I hate every, every religious thing you're doing because your heart's not right. And we need to make sure that in everything we do, we're getting our heart right. Let's read Isaiah 111. It says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. Now, hold on. God told them to make all those sacrifices. And what he's saying is all these things I told you to do, I don't delight in those things. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Oh, I forgot to change the slide. (laughs) Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become an abomination, they have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. Instead of being blessed by the offerings, they're a burden When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, he says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Um, I'll tell you what I love about that. God just says, I'm interested in your heart, not your behavior. But when your heart is right, that will result in right behavior. But it's the heart that God wants. And I love this because don't all of us, every single one of us sometimes struggles with our heart and our attitude. I mean, that's certainly something I deal with at times. And I try to just remind myself that that God loves me and that I can always go back and confess. And God wants to redeem us and to forgive us and cleanse us. The Christian life is not about performance. We have God's love. We have his acceptance. And when we get off track, what do we do? We just run back to Jesus and get back on track. And in the body of Christ, when things happen the way they're not supposed to, we just love each other. We forgive each other. We get back on track because it's actually not about us. And so I love this. And this is just a, a really important key passage Go and learn what this means. This is Jesus said this in Matthew 9:13. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Look at Hosea 6:6. 6, 6. This is the verse that Jesus actually quotes in Matthew 9 and he quotes it here in our passage. He says, "For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice." God wants you to love him not just try to obey him. And then it says the knowledge of God 
rather than burnt offerings. To just pursue that, that internal desire. God, I love you. I want to know you. I want to be like you. That is what God wants from his children. Let's look at the second point here. Jesus is going to demonstrate. So he teaches about the priority of, of mercy. He's going to demonstrate mercy on the Sabbath. That's what he says here. Verse 9, he went on from there, and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Again, they're trying to set a trap for Jesus. Is it lawful to heal, to do this work on the Sabbath? And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? You know, these Pharisees were so external and legalistic. And it's like they, their sheep, they would pick a sheep out for their own interest. That, that sheep was worth money. They were willing to do that because it benefited them on the Sabbath. And yet they had no compassion, no heart for this man with the withered hand. And Jesus says, what's worth more, an animal or a man? And then I, I just love Jesus. Look at verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. <laughs> you want to know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't back off in the face of religious people. He didn't, man. There's all this religious pressure, all these powerful people giving him a hard time. He didn't back off. Uh, they set a trap for him, and he just said, no, this is what I'm doing. You know, Jesus was never felt peer pressure. He was never worried about anybody. He was always in control. Jesus was so powerful. And, and I love how Jesus responds. Look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. So a couple things. Jesus told his disciples, when you go out and preach and people reject you, shake the, sh shake the dust off your feet and move on. You want to know what Jesus did when the Pharisees rejected him? He just said, he just left them and went to a different area. He healed everybody and then said, don't tell anyone. That was part of the judgment on people for rejecting Jesus. But I just love it. Jesus healed them all. That demonstrates Jesus' power. That demonstrates his mercy. And that demonstrates his incredible authority over the Pharisees and everyone else. Man, Jesus saw these people. He cared about them. And he healed every one of them. You know, I just, um, one of the things that stands out to me is how significant of a privilege it is to have God's word, to have God's truth, to have people in your life that will share God's truth, that will speak to you, that will challenge you. And it's just so sad when people with God's word and God's truth and, and, and God has sent these messengers to express his love and people just reject them. They reject God. They reject the messengers. Man, what a terrifying, hard-hearted thing that is to do. Look at Amos 8.11, because God talks about this in the Old Testament. And he's just talking to Israel, and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, 
when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they will wander from sea to sea, from north to east, and they will run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. You know, that we're about to see that happen in the nation of Israel because Jesus is going to start teaching in parables. And these are awesome parables because we read them and there's just these illustrations and they're so understandable. But then we realize later that Jesus only actually explained them to his, to his disciples. For everybody else, they were totally confused. That was God's judgment in their life. I'm going to wrap up with just this third point. You know, all of this is about Jesus. You know, we can learn about mercy. We can learn about the Sabbath. We can learn about all those things. But in every one of these sections, Jesus is just pointing to himself. And Jesus is our priority. And and what we're going to see here is that Jesus is the embodiment of God's mercy in the very point of the Sabbath. Look at what it says in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah Look at verse 18. This is Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold, I'm going to read it from Matthew, though, because it's quoted there. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. You know, it's just interesting to think that Jesus is God's servant. And it reminds me of John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was God's chosen servant. My beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. Have you heard that before anywhere in Matthew? How about Matthew 3.17, where God the Father says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. I mean, let me just ask you, is this passage about Jesus? Yes. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. That's a reference to Jesus' silence before his accusers when he was being persecuted. And then this next section is kind of grammatically a little bit of a challenge because some people see this as Jesus referring to somebody else, and it can also be taken as a reference to Jesus himself. And so let's just look. A bruised reed he will not break. So is that saying Jesus is a bruised reed and that Jesus will not break, or is it saying that Jesus will not break somebody who is a bruised reed? Um, I take this to be referring to Jesus, but there's a debate there in a couple of these sections nor will anyone, or a bruised reed, he will not break. And then I think about, you know, the bruised reed. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise, um, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's talking about Jesus being bruised. And then it goes on, it says, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. What an incredible, incredible sin for the Jewish nation to reject Jesus. But what an incredible blessing that their rejection of Jesus has become spiritual riches to the Gentiles. And for those of us, like I have this tiny percentage of Jewish in me, I'm, I'm a 12% Jewish, but most of me is Gentile. <laughs> And for most of us, we're Gentile. What an incredible thing that, that 
other people's sin, the sin of Israel, has resulted in our blessing. And Jesus came not just for the Jews. He did come uniquely and specially for them, but Jesus came for everyone. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called... When God's working in a person's heart, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, the gospel will be powerful. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, to wrap this up, I I just want to end with this. You know, love is at the root of mercy. Um, When we love God, when we love other people, we're going to be merciful to them. Look how God's Mercy is described in Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So brothers and sisters, man, we need to have a heartfelt compassion toward toward one another, a genuine love that results in mercy. You know, mercy is not holding things against other people. Mercy is just graciously forgiving. It's what we need from God. It's what we have from God. And we treat other people that way because um, we want God's mercy and we want to show God's mercy. Let me pray for us. Lord, it is incredible your kindness and your love for us. And we just think about your mercy, how you desire mercy and not sacrifice. Lord, help us to never get so wrapped up in the external things that we're doing that we actually forget why we're here. That, Lord, as we perform the duties that that we're doing, as we do the ministries, that we actually forget the purpose of why we actually do those things. Lord, help us to have an overwhelming love for you. And, Lord, that that would result in an overwhelming love for one another. And, Lord, I just ask that that would be an attractive thing that would bring people from our community to you. And, Lord, that they would sense your love for them in how we treat them in your name. Amen.